I'd like to turn this morning to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. I want to begin with a little bit of a backstory uh, to get the context of what is transpiring here. As Israel comes to a, uh, a new uh, time in their history. Before this time was the time of the judges. Joshua has come into the promised land. He's been allowed of God to conquer uh, the nations that inhabited the land that God had promised them. God had been faithful to drive them out. And so over the years, uh, they had enjoyed times of peace and tranquility. But as Joshua dies and as the new people come on the scene, uh, we find this, this uh, devastating record of rebellion. Uh, and God uh, judges them and, and he, he puts them into uh, under the tyranny of a foreign nation. Maybe sometimes it was the Midianites. Sometimes it was the Philistines, and God's people would repent. They would cry to God. God would send them a judge, uh, Gideon or Samson. Uh, those were all judges, and these judges would deliver them out of the hand of those that had oppressed them. And during that time, Israel was what is known as a theocracy. And what that means is is that when they wanted to know what they were to do, whether they were to go to battle or uh, a, a decision that would affect the whole of the nation of Israel, they would go to the prophet. The prophet uh, spoke for God and he told the people what God expected them to do on a national level. And so really, uh, their direction came from God himself. He was their king. He was their ruler. He was their sovereign. And so uh, up until this point, uh, it, was, it was a whole mess of, of, of rebellion and, and apostasy and God judging them, bringing back them, them back in, and God ruling over them. But now they come to a place in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, and in verse 5, and it said, And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy son, speaking to Samuel. Let me give the context here. He's speaking to Samuel. Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So here Israel rebels against their theocracy. They no longer like the fact that God is ruling over them. They no longer like the way that God is leading them through the prophets. So now they want to have a king like every, everybody else. Every other nation has a king. Why can't Israel have a king? Let the king go out to battle. Let the king make the decisions for us. Let the king lead us in the way that we should go. And God tells uh, Samuel in verse uh, 10, he says, uh, uh, basically he says, uh, in verse 7, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people, and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So God tells Samuel, hey, listen, uh, don't be upset, don't, be, uh, don't, don't let this weigh upon your mind, because they've not rejected you as a prophet. What they've done is they've rejected me in my leading. And so he says in verse 10, And Samuel uh, told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. 
And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots to be his horsemen. And uh, some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties. And will set them uh, to ears, uh, uh, and will set them to ears, ear his ground, and to reap his harvest, and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he would take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. So basically God says, listen, this king, these kings that you've asked of me, this is not what you're thinking. It's not going to be all that in a bed of roses. Uh, this is going to be a, a catastrophe. They're going, these kings are going to rise up and they're going to take your sons from you and they're going to put them in their armies and they're going to put them in their fields and they're going to, and they're going to basically make slaves of your children. And, and so they're going to come under the rule and, and what you're going to have is a tyrant for a king. You're going to have tyrants for kings all your days. That's what's going to happen. But God, in the midst of this, has mercy upon them. In the midst of their rejection of them, God, for their first king, is going to choose a man that is, uh, that is uh, a man that's going to uh, fit them well, if you will, if he follows the Lord. God promises later on, as we see, he tells Saul, listen, and he tells the nation of Israel, listen, if you follow me, and if you submit to Saul, my king... And you fall in the way, everything's going to go great. Listen, if you rely on me and, and, and your king relies on me, everything's going to go good. And the consequences of your sin will be later on down the road. But some things have to happen in order for that to be. You've got to listen to me during this transitional period. I can work through a king just like I can work through a prophet, but you have to listen to me. So... This morning, what I want to bring before your minds is a title of the sermon that I, I'm going to title, Saul's Roadway of Rebellion. Because what I really want to talk to you this morning about is Saul's, Saul's Roadway to Rebellion. How Saul, chosen to be king because of his character and because of his innate nature and because of that which he had with God, goes down a path that leads him to destruction. And we're going to see how this can really happen to anybody. First off, I want to look at Saul the simple. Saul the simple. Saul was not a man that looked to be king. He was not a man that inspired with great ambition. He was not a man that wanted to be anything else than what his father had called him to do. And this is where we find Saul. Here's Saul the simple. And in verse uh, chapter 9, verse 1, Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Be a uh, Abiel, the son of Zoror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphaiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he, for he was shoulders and upwards, he was higher, higher than any of the people. And the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to Saul, his son, Take now one of the servants with thee, and arise, go seek the asses. And he passed through Mount Ephraim, and passed through the, the land of uh, Shilisha, but they found them not. 
Then they passed through the land of Shelem, and there they were not. And he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they found them not. So here we have the record of the character of Saul. Saul was a man, first off, that was a goodly man. He was a, a man that anybody would want to be king. He, was, he stood uh, head and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, the average height of a man is somewhere between the, the, the uh, uh, five, six, I believe, and five, five, eleven, six, six feet, uh, especially an Israelite. So you're, you're looking at someone who's probably around six foot three, six foot four. He's, he's probably a pretty big man. He's, he's a man of power. He's a man of girth. Eh? And you, 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 you would expect someone that uh, in this time period, if they're going to step on the battlefield, you want a big man by your side. And so God gives him this man, Saul of Kish. Saul, uh, who, who's, uh, who was the son of Kish. And he was goodlier. And not only that, he was, he was an obedient Man, He was a man that sought to do the will of his father. He had no problems coming under the subjection of his father. The asses had gone missing, his father's livelihood nonetheless. And so, and so his father Kish says, hey, go find my, my donkeys that are missing. And Saul doesn't think twice about it. He takes his servant and he strikes out on the road. And he, and he goes looking high and low and... He probably walks forever and ever and ever and ever, but it's no care for Saul. He's, he's being an obedient son. So that's a character trait of Saul. He's obedient. He's goodly. He wants to do what's right. You understand? And then in verse 8, it says, And the servant answered Saul after, after they weren't able to find them. Again, and said, Behold, I have here in my hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver, that will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come and let us go to the seer. For he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. Then said Saul to his servant, Well said, Come, let us go. So they went unto the city where the man of God was. So not only was Saul an obedient man to his father, not only was he a goodly man, but Saul was a man that invoked divine input into his daily life. You understand that he, he looked at this situation, he said, you know what, we have no idea where these donkeys are, we can't find them. The servant says, hey, let's go ask God where they're at. God knows all things. God surely knows where our donkeys are. He made the heavens. He made the earth. He knows our downsitting, our uprising. He understands our thoughts afar off. Let's go see what God has to say. And Saul says, you know what? That's a good idea. Saul didn't look at it in the situation and said, well, God will never care about these donkeys. God doesn't care about what happens in our day-to-day -day life. God doesn't care about our troubles. He doesn't care about our woes, our situation. No. Saul looked in faith. To God and said, yes, God does care. God knows and God surely can help us. Let's go see what God has to say about it. That's a good character trait, don't you think? For a man to have, a man that uh, looks to God in his daily life for, for direction and for uh, divine input. That's a good character trait. So he's obedient and he, and he has a, a, a desire for God to help him in his daily life. 
So in verse 16, he comes to Samuel. It says, and Samuel is told of God before that, that Saul's coming. He says, tomorrow about this time, I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because of their cry is come up unto me. And when Samuel uh, saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I spake of thee, uh, to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me into the high place, for ye shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let thee go. And will tell thee all that is in thine heart. And as for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on, on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on all thy father's house? So stop right there. He says, Saul comes to Samuel and says, hey, where's the prophet? And Samuel says, well, I'm the prophet. Come on, let's go up to the high place. Let's get something to eat. And he says, and then uh, tomorrow I'll tell you everything that's on your heart. And then he says, and don't worry about the donkeys. They've already been found. The donkeys that you lost three days ago, they're already back home. That's amazing, is it not? You come to a city to find out where the donkeys are, and you don't even ask the man about the donkeys, and he just says, hey, you came here seeking donkeys. They've already been found. Don't worry about them. Well, that would, that would shock my mind, wouldn't it? <laughs> if I don't even ask him, where, ask him what I came for and he just tells me, Hey, you came here to ask me about these donkeys? Don't worry about them. They've already been found. Well, I'd be blown away. I'm blown away just thinking about it. Anyway, so he says, Is not all the desire of, on thee and on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee? And on thy father's house. Basically what Samuel says there is. The desire of Israel is for a king. They've asked God for a king. And you're the man. That's what he's saying. Is not all of Israel's desire upon thee? Since you're the man God's chosen to be king. And they desire a king. Or is not their desire on you? Don't they? And aren't you what they're truly desiring? That's what, that's what they're looking for. I want you to note Saul's response. Saul answered in verse 21 and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speaketh thou so to me? He says, Am I not the smallest of all the small? <laughs> Listen, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, and the tribe of Benjamin, as you know, was the last son of Jacob. He was the last one born of Rachel. And Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. And Benjamin was not a, a big, uh, a, a big uh, group of people like all the other ch uh, children had children. He was a relatively small group of people in comparison to the others. And, so, and Saul says, am I not a Benjamite? Of the smallest and the last of all the tribes of Israel. I'm the last. I'm the smallest. I'm the most insignificant. And of my own family, 
I'm the most insignificant. So why are you talking that way about me? You know what that's called? That attitude? That's called meekness. That's called meekness. It's being humble. You understand? And in Galatians chapter 5 and in verse uh, 23, there it is listed as a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. If someone's been born again, if someone's been touched by divine grace, if God has come into their heart, well, one of the character traits of that individual will be meekness. The lust of the flesh and the, and the fruit of the Spirit are put in opposition one to another. In other words, wicked men are not meek. People that are unrighteous and, and are uh, apostate and, and don't have God in their life, well, they're not meek. The only people that are meek, if you have meekness in your life, you have God in your life. Same way with faith. If you believe in God, the only reason you believe is because God has already sovereignly and divinely touched your heart. If you have love in your heart, true sacrificial love in your heart, where you care more about others than you do for yourself, the only reason you have that is because God has touched your heart. And so for Saul to have this attitude, it was the, uh, the only reason he would have this attitude was that God had touched his heart. He had changed him from his natural state in Adam to a state of grace in Christ. Even though Christ hadn't been born yet, they still were born again during this time period. They still had to uh, have that same supernatural touch of grace in this time. So Saul was a man of God. He was a man that had been touched by God. And that's why in faith he looked to God for where the donkeys were. And that's why he honored his father and his mother. You understand? He was a man of God. And that's very important. This is very important to this story. That you understand that he was a man of God. In uh, chapter 10 and verse 6, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. And in verse, uh, let's see, verse 9, same chapter. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart, and those signs came to pass. So God specifically touched the heart of Saul here. And what this was is he was giving him a desire towards Israel and not just towards his father. Up until this time, Saul's main concern was pleasing who? His dad. He, was, he went out to, to find the donkeys for his dad. And all this time he's concerned about his dad. And he says, you know, don't talk about me because I'm the least of the family of Benjamin. And my father's house is a small group. And... You know, just let me be, if you will. And so Samuel says, go prophesy. And when you do, God's going to touch your heart. And when he did, God gave him another heart. And what that other heart was, he no longer had a desire for his father's house. He had a desire for Israel. It wasn't that he was regenerated in this time. This is what, no, he was already regenerated because he already exhibited the fruits of the Spirit. Meekness and faith and, and humility. You understand? And so here he gives him a change of heart and a longing to fulfill the task of God for his life. And then in chapter, in verse 22, uh, 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 tw 20 and 23 here, it says, And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near, by their families, the family of uh, Matriai was taken, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken, 
And when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord Father, if the man should not yet come thither. And the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hidden himself among the stuff. I love that eloquent word, stuff, don't you? <laughs> he's, he's hidden himself back here. He's, he's, he doesn't want to be exalted. And they ran and fetched him thence. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gebeh. And there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. God had called him to a service. And God had purpose to surround him with men to help him uh, accomplish that service that he had called him to. It says, but the children of Belial said, How shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. So here we see two things. First off, we see that Saul did not want to be exalted. When it came time for him to be anointed king and be brought in front of everybody, where's he at? He's hiding among everything. He doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want to be exalted. He hides behind the stuff. That's the character of a meek man. You understand? There's his meekness coming together. And then when he's resisted by the sons of Belial, he could have argued with him. He could have had him killed. He said he, had, he held his peace. So now Saul's a man that seeks for peace. You understand? So that was Saul the meek. Saul the simple. And we just we looked at Saul the meek. Now let's look at Saul the mighty. Saul was a meek man. Now let's look at Saul the mighty. In 1 Samuel 11, the children of Jabesh-Gilead, the, in the town of Jabesh-Gilead, the Ammonites came against them. And just for context, here's what they said. The Ammonites said, listen, you come and serve us, and we won't kill you. But you've got a pledge to us that you're going to serve us, and you're going to have to let us take your eye out. I believe it was their left eye, their right eye. Yeah. They, they, were, they had to pull out their right eye in order to, to, to make this covenant with them. And in verse 4, it says, Then came the messengers to Gabay of Saul and told the tidings in the ears of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. And behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field, and Saul said, What aileth the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those things, and his anger was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coast of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out with one consent. So, they come and they tell, they tell Saul, they said, uh, the Ammonites have said to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, if you don't come and pull out your eyes, we're going to kill you all. And when Saul hears 
this horrendous covenant and this mockery that the Ammonites are mocking the men of Jabesh-Gilead, he gets angry. He was filled with righteous indignation. He was overwhelmed. His soul was inflamed and overwhelmed with righteous anger. And he had developed a passion for the well-being of God's people. You understand? And he, had, uh, and he had a desire to do that which was right. So he had righteous indignation, uh, a, a flaming passion for the people of God, and a desire to do what's right. And this indignation and this, this passion and this desire instilled in him courage. It gave him courage. When a man is equipped to shepherd God's people, when God calls him to minister to his people, one of the first things he plants within him is a passion for the well-being of God's people. And as a pastor, I can tell you when I see the enemy attack God's people, nothing makes me more angry. Nothing makes me more angry when I see religious liberty being imposed, taken away. Nothing angers me when I see the devil get into marriages and destroy homes. Nothing makes me more angry at it. It infuriates me to see God's church afflicted. Because God has equipped me with that task. And God has given me that heart. And so he's filled with passion. And we're not going to read the story, but Saul goes out and utterly destroys the Amalekites. Or the, the Ammonites, sorry. The Ammonites here. He goes and he, 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 he chases them away and he delivers Jabesh Gilead from the hand of these Ammonites. So there we have Saul the mighty. We had Saul the meek, Saul the mighty. And in verse uh, thir uh, 12 and 13 it says... And the people said unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the, the men that we may put them to death. Here's, the, here's the, uh, the men of Belial. Remember the men of Belial said, uh, How shall Saul deliver us? The, the, and, and Samuel held his peace. When now those people are saying, Where's those men that said that? Where are those sons of Belial? Bring them out and let's put them to death. And Saul said, there shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. He didn't take the credit to himself. He didn't say, hey, look at me. Look what I did. I stepped out on the battlefield and I slew all my enemies. I beat them to pieces. He didn't take the credit. No, Saul was Saul the mindful. We have Saul the meek, Saul the mighty, and Saul the mindful. He was mindful... To give the praise to God. He was mindful to give the praise to God. So we've looked at Saul the simple. Saul the simple man was Saul the meek, Saul the mighty, and Saul the mindful. As he came to uh, come into this position as king, he, he was a meek man. He was a godly man. He was a man that sought God in his daily life. He was an obedient man. He was full of meekness. He was full of passion and zeal for the people of God. And he cared for others around him. Truly cared for the well-being of those around him. And he was mindful to give God the glory in his life. 
That was the character of Saul. But then, then we come to Saul the Sovereign. He's left off being Saul the Simple. Now he's Saul the King, Saul the Sovereign. And in chapter 13, we begin the slow road. Saul makes a detour on his road. He begins to go away that he never should have went. <clears throat> it says, And Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him three thousand men of Israel, whereof two thousand were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel. And a thousand were with Jonathan and Gabay, a Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in uh, Gibeah. And the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. So Saul, Jonathan uh, goes and he, and he wages war with the Philistine and he soundly defeats them. And instead of turning around and giving God the glory and praising the Lord, Saul blows a trumpet and says, let everybody hear what we've done. That's what he says. Let all Israel hear. And it says, and all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines and that Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines. So Saul blows the trumpet and says, let everybody hear what I've done. Let everybody hear this conquest that we've undertaken. And that now we are at full war with the Philistines. He's filled here with a beginning of pride. He begins to let promotion and position and prestige get into his head a little bit. Now he's starting to think like a king, like a tyrant. Now he's starting to think, hey, listen, look at me. I must be somebody. God chose me to be king. I must be somebody. And so in verse 8, we have Saul, the mutineer. He's no longer Saul, the meek, no longer Saul, the mighty, no longer Saul, the mindful. Now he's Saul, the mutineer. Now he's openly rebelling against God. That's what a mutineer is. It says, so that the, the Philistines are gathered together, they're going to wage war, and Israel would not go to war without offering sacrifice to God. That was just their way of war. They had to offer to God, and that's what God expected. It's, and Samuel was to come and, and offer that sacrifice. And in verse 8 it says, And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, and it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and the Philistines gathered themselves together at Micmac, therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me, Tilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. So here Saul enters into a position that he was not called into. 
You understand that the priesthood offering sacrifices to God was reserved to only those that God had put in that position. God had not called Saul to be priest. He was not born of the right family. He was not a Levite. You understand. He was not a prophet. God had not called him to be a prophet. And he intrudes and fulfills the office of a priest, which he had no right to do. He felt that if God had promoted him to the position of kingship, that there was a favor there that was above everybody else. And since he had the favor of God, since God had exalted him to king, well, he could do whatever he wanted to do and get away with it. That's the attitude he had. I can just do whatever I want and God will be fine with it. And then in chapter 15, verse 1. So here we have another, another instance of Saul's mutiny. It says in verse 1, it says, Samuel also said unto Saul, And the Lord sent me to anoint thee king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which... Amalek did to Israel how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not both, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling and ox and sheep and camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telahim 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. So Samuel comes to Saul and says, listen, you're going to go down and you're going to wipe them completely off the map. Now I want you to understand something. In God's eyes, nobody's innocent. In God's eyes, we're all guilty before God and this was a punishment to be inflicted because of a sin that they had committed against God. They committed against God and God is using Saul as his justice rod to enact justice upon the sins of these people when God had brought his people out of Egypt. This is what they did unto them. So it was very important that God, that Saul, follow Samuel's mandate. But in four, uh, chapter, uh, well, in verse 7 it says, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag the king of the Amalekites alive. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early in the, uh, to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul uh, came up to Carmel, and behold, he set him in a place, and has gone about, and passed on, and has gone down to Gilgal. And Saul, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So there he utterly lies, because <laughs> he hadn't fulfilled 
uh, the Lord's commandment. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest they have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said, Say, say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thy own sight, when you were meek, when you were humble before me, was not, uh, was not, uh, was, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until thou consume them. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the Lord, the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord has sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things. So now he shifts the blame. You see that? He says, listen, I follow the Lord. It's the people. They brought of the sheep. So he lies to cover up his own folly. He rebels against the Lord. He knows full well the full commandment. Samuel didn't say, save some for the Lord. He said, kill everything. Everything that you see, kill it. And so what? So now he is in full mutiny. He rebels against the Lord and he turns. In this, God tells Saul, listen, I'm going to destroy your kingdom from you. I'm going to take it from you. You're not going to have it anymore. You're not going to be king. You're going to be removed from kingship because you have rebelled against my word. And in verse 14 of chapter 16, we find the beginning of Saul the miserable says, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. The confidence, the spirit that God is with him, that's the other heart that God gave him. The heart that knew that God was with him. See, when we are following the Lord, when we are with him and we, and we are diligently seeking him and to please his name, he gives us a confidence inside. He gives us a, a, a realization that He's with us. He lets us know, I'm here. Even in our darkest moments, we feel the comfort and the peace of God in our lives. That He's with us and that everything's going to be alright. But when we rebel against God, even in our best times, we feel that everything's horrible. That's the way it goes. And here it says, And the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek a man who is cunning player on the harp. And it shall come to pass when the Spirit of, uh, from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And they found David. I'm not going to read on, but they found David. David was a man that was skillful on the harp. What happened was, Saul 
became a manic depressant as a result of sin in his life. Now, is everybody, I want to point this out, is everybody that becomes depressed, is it because they sin? No, it's not. Is it because there's sin in the world? Yes. <laughs> okay, the reason that our, our minds don't work at 100% all the time is because Adam sinned in the garden. And when Adam sinned in the garden, he, he brought all kind of diseases and abnormalities in the way our body functions. So sometimes our bodies just go haywire because there's sin in the world, not because we've sinned. But at other times, we need to understand that the oppressive spirit that is upon us is because of the convicting hand of the Lord. God allows us to become, and sometimes that depressive spirit comes simply from God removing his hand. You understand? Sometimes we're depressive by nature. That's how our body's wired. And when God removes his hand from us, we fall into a pit of deep, deep, deep depression. And I want you to understand something about Saul's particular case. We all go through moments of depression, I believe. And some of us are more prone to it than others. But Saul, if you look, he was crazy depressed. This was not just a, a, a bout with darkness. This was not just a loathsome... He was crazy, as we're going to see in a minute. But it worked. It says uh, in verse 23, And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed... And was well, and the spirit, evil spirit, departed from him. There is a power in music to sway the minds of people. Do you know that? There is. There is a powerful, music is a powerful motive. It changes our hearts. You understand? That's why I like classical music. I really do. Because a study has shown that listening to, to pieces like Valdi and Mozart, uh, I love the Four Seasons by Vivaldi. Uh, it's just a, so it makes you happy. And it really does actually change, change your emotions. It, it has been shown through various studies, particularly one in Mexico where they had people listen to this classical music. It literally altered their state of mind. It made them happier and more at peace. So music can have a profound effect on the human psyche. And here it is. They were using music as medicine, and it worked. But then we come to chapter 17, and in verse 11, the context is Goliath. Goliath comes into Saul's life, and he makes a bunch of threats. And basically, Goliath says, I'm going to feed you to the buzzards. That's what Goliath says. You send a man out to me. This God that you said is going to deliver you, your God's not going to deliver you. You send the man out to me, we'll fight, and I'm going to feed him to the buzzards. And what is Saul's response? You remember Saul the mighty? What do you think Saul the mighty, the man that stood head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel, what do you think he should do? Why, he should step on that battlefield with courage. I mean, he's bigger than everybody else. And take this man on one-on-one. -on -one. But in verse 11 it says, When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Where's the man of Jabesh Gilead? Where's the conquering hero? 
Where's the man that cut up the ox and said, if anybody doesn't come to war and fight this, these people, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to cut up all their animals. <laughs> Where's this man? Where's this man that is passionately and, and filled with righteous anger when he hears a man defy the God of Israel? Where is he? He's not there. He's changed. See, Saul became prideful. He became rebellious. God removed his presence from his life. And now all Saul can do is quake in fear. He's afraid. No longer does the care of God's people concern him but he's looking for somebody else to step on the battlefield somebody else to put in harm's way because he's too scared to do it himself you understand fear consumes him no zeal no faith where's his faith at it's gone he's no longer filled with faith his meekness has died He's just a miserable, scared man. You know the story? David comes on the scene. He takes him five smooth stones and he comes out and now he's the man of courage because he's the man of faith. And he takes that sling and he slings it around and where's it hit him, Gideon? And he falls down dead, and David runs up, and he takes his sword, and he cuts his hand off. And he holds it up for everybody to see. And the Philistines tuck tail and run. And the Israelites, they, they go to rejoicing and shouting, and they take off after him. Now the people that were slint down and scared and shaken in their boots are filled with courage and faith and zeal, and they run after him. And so David comes into the kingdom. And in verse 6 of chapter 18, And it came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tablets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? What can he have more but the kingdom? Now, Saul was the was the uh, he was he was uh, Saul the mutineer? He turned into Saul the miserable, and now he's Saul the madman. He's blinded with rage. Proverbs chapter twenty-seven verse four says says wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. 
It overwhelms. Wrath is troublesome, is what it means. It's, it's full of trouble. It's hard to deal with. And anger is outrageous. In other words, it's, it overwhelms us. It's an overwhelming thing. When, when someone's anger at you, it consumes them. And, and, and it makes your life very unpredictable and, and kind of a hard thing to go through, right? But listen, wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. But who can stand before envy? You can take somebody when they're mad at you. You can take somebody when they are angry with you. But the Bible says when they're jealous of you, you can't stand before it. Why is that? Because they will do everything in their power to destroy you. Because anger oftentimes is based on fleeting situations, is it not? When you make somebody mad, it's typically because you did something, right? Well, those things can be worked through. But when somebody's jealous, they're jealous not of what you've done, but who you are. And so they go crazy. <laughs> and they will do whatever it takes to destroy you. And so Saul, who was the meek and the mindful and the mighty, is now Saul the miserable. He was the mutineer, and now he's the miserable, and now he's the madman because he's consumed with envy. Pride has taken hold of his heart. And now all he can think about is the position that he's in. Don't take my position. What else can he have more than the kingdom? He's going to take my kingdom from me. This is my kingdom. You understand? This is how he's thinking. They, they only ascribe to me a thousand. They've given David all these thousands. Now he's jealous. He's jealous. Verse 10. And it came to pass on the morrow... The evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house and David played with his hand as at other times. David's there to comfort Saul as a loyal subject to help him through his troubled times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. So two times, David comes in to play for Saul during one of his manic depressive fits. And he's playing on his heart. And there's a spear in Saul's hand as he's sitting on the throne, no doubt. And David's over there in the corner playing. And all of a sudden, he begins to think of David's victory and what people are saying. And he takes that javelin and he throws it at David, trying to pin him to the wall. He's trying to kill him. He's not throwing just to injure. He's throwing to kill. In verse 21, he tries to get David killed through a plot through the Philistines. In chapter 19, verse 9, once again, he tries to throw him through with a, with a, with a spear. In chapter 20, in verse 30 and 33, Saul's jealousy and rage and envy is so much that he tries to kill Jonathan, his own son. He's blinded so much by hate and jealousy. Jonathan and David were best friends. 
And so Jonathan's taken up for him, and he says, Don't you understand that he's trying to rend the kingdom from you? And Saul takes the javelin that he threw at David three different times, and now he throws it at Jonathan and tries to pin his own son to the wall. He's so mad with rage and so bipolar that he tries to kill his own son. Chapters 21 through 28, we find David constantly on the run from Saul as he flees from one place to the other because Saul's constantly trying to kill him. And then we get down to the very pit of Saul's existence. Saul no longer has God in his life. Saul no longer feels God. Saul, by all intents and purposes, no longer really even is looking to the Lord anymore. Oh, and by the way, during that time of chapters 21 to 28, Saul kills 85 of God's priests because they had helped David. God, David goes to the house of the Lord to seek food. They give him some shoe bread and give him the sword of Goliath. And there's one Doeg the Edomite there. And Doeg runs back and tells Saul. And then they come through. And Saul orders his servants to kill every single one of those priests. Eighty-five of them. Four score and five. So now he's assaulting God's people. You see how much he's changed from the meek man? From the mighty man, from the mindful man. Now he doesn't care about God. He, apparently, <laughs> he's killing his priest. He's trying to kill David because of jealousy. And so in chapter 28, verse 7, he comes and he stoops into witchcraft. Devil worship. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit. That means a devil that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said unto him, Behold, there is a woman that is, hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself, and he had to because he had outlawed witchcraft in the land. And so he disguises himself and put on other raiment. And he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. Skip on down. <clears throat> then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up? Verse 11. Then uh, whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. And the woman, and when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, What has, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid. For what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. Now, witchcraft's not real. How do I know that? Because here was a bona fide person that had a familiar spirit, and she's surprised when she actually sees a dead person. <laughs> you understand? They're, they're called mediums today, people that can communicate with the other. And by the way, that's all a fraud. They, can, they, they cue in on your, your facial cues and can tell when they're hitting nerves in you, and they continue down that path. That's why they, they know things about your family, because they, they hit on these common notions. I watched a show on it. Anyway. But here, this woman that's supposed to have a familiar spirit, she literally sees this person come back. And what she sees here, if we were to turn, we don't have time this morning because I want to finish up. 
But in Genesis chapter 28, verse 12, you remember when Jacob was in a place called Bethel. And Jacob fell asleep on a pile of rocks for a pillow. He used a pile of rocks for a pillow. And you remember the dream that he had? Jacob saw a ladder going to heaven. And what did he see on that ladder? The angels of God ascending and descending on that ladder. What I believe she saw here was that ladder to heaven. I believe she saw the same thing that Jacob saw because she says, I see gods. Now, a person, a person that uh, is, is prone to familiar spirits, when they see an angel, what do you think they're going to think about that angel? If they have no inclination of God, they're going to think they're a God, right? Makes logical sense to me. And so here, I believe she sees the ladder to heaven, and Samuel comes down the ladder from heaven and talks with this witch. And basically, what, Saul, what, what Samuel tells him is, you're going to die tomorrow. You're going to die tomorrow. And in chapter 31, we have the very end of Saul. Chapter 31, and in verse 3, it says, And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him. And he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, uh, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. Saul committed suicide. Saul the miserable turned into Saul the madman. And Saul the madman sought to kill those that he was jealous of. So that he sought to kill his own son. He killed the priest of God. He sought to kill David who had done nothing but serve him. He was a madman. And in the end, he delved into witchcraft. And at the very end of his life, miserable Saul falls upon his, in other words, you put the sword.